Hi, Gary Zacharias here again with The Apologist Bookshelf. I have an older book for you uh, today, but that's okay because you never know. Sometimes you're at a used book sale or your church has a sale, and it's just hard to know where these books uh, may pop up. You can go to Amazon and maybe buy it used there. It's been out about 25 years now, so uh, it's a little older book, but uh, I really like it. It's called Handbook of Christian Apologetics. Peter Kraft and Ronald Ticelli, or Ticelli, I'm not sure I pronounces it. They're the authors, uh, K-R-E-E-F-T, and the last name of Ronald is uh, T-A-C-E-L-L-I. Handbook of Christian Apologetics, they answer so many good questions in here, like, is the Bible myth? Does God exist? How, how does God allow evil to exist? There's a question that people wrestle with. Was Jesus more than a man? And that's actually the chapter I wanted to look at. Is there life after death? What about miracles? Did Jesus come back from the dead? Is Christianity the only true religion? These two authors are professors of uh, philosophy at Boston College. And as it says here, it's a book with reasonable, concise, witty, and wise answers. And I think that's true. So plenty of good topics. Good general apologetics book, in case you're looking for maybe just one or two books to sit on your shelf. I always like I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's a good one by Frank Turek. But this is a good one too, Handbook of Christian Apologetics. So I'm going to take the chapter that talks about the divinity of Christ. And because there's a lot there, I'm going to be zipping along to get through this. They start off in the chapter here, why do we care if Christ is divine? Well, it's the most distinctive Christian doctrine that we have. And the one way that you judge between modern liberal Christianity and the historic Christianity is right there. You know, who, who is Jesus? Who do others say? Who do you say that I am? Remember he asked that question. And he says, this doctrine works like a, a key that unlocks all the other doctrinal doors of Christianity. And then they say this, which I think nobody's going to doubt. If Christ is divine, then the incarnation is the most important event in history when Jesus came into this world. And he says, if he is God, he can transform all of us. And then finally, if he's divine, he has the right to our entire lives, which is pretty humbling, huh? Okay, so but, but what, what do people say uh, as far as Jesus goes, uh, you know, what, what he is and all? So, of course, the Christian response is Jesus is God, but... What do unbelievers say? Well, they'll have to say, well, maybe the gospels lied. Well, who would invent the lie? And what would be the purpose? And why would thousands suffer torture and death if this is a lie, if they know it's a lie? And if it's not a lie, maybe it's a hallucination. Well, who are the fools that first believed that? I mean, the Jews are pretty hard-nosed people. And as the authors say here, imagine this. The transcendent God who for millennia had strictly forbidden his chosen people to confuse him with a creature like the pagans. Then this creator God became a creature. He became a man, a crucified criminal. That doesn't seem like a myth that the Jews would conjure up, huh? And if it wasn't the Jews, was it, was it the Gentiles who started this? Where did that myth come from in the New Testament? Most of the books there, 25 out of the 27, are written by Jews. And then if it was Jews or Gentiles that started this myth, they couldn't have done it so during the lifetime of people who knew the real Jesus because then the eyewitnesses would refute that. 
And he says, uh, notice too, if this is a myth, it's attracted the brightest minds in history. And then they just machine gun a list of people here who have uh, apparently been so stupid as to buy into this. Paul of Tarsus, John, Justin Martyr, Clement, Origen, Augustine, uh, Boethius, Anselm, Aquinas. I'm just doing a few of them on here. Luther, Calvin, Kepler, Dante, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Descartes, Pascal, and it goes and it goes. Copernicus, Newton, Kierkegaard, Pasteur, Galileo, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis. They said, we'll put those people up against anybody else. <laughs> so that's a pretty good point here. Okay, well, I like the section that they get to, which is, you've heard probably of the trilemma. Uh, actually, there's a fourth one we'll get to in a minute. But there's the argument, well, was Jesus, if he wasn't God, what are your other choices? He was either, Lord, I mean, if he was Lord, fine. But for people that don't want to buy into that, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or it's mythology. It's got to be one of those three. What else could it be? So what about a liar? Can we start there? All right. Why couldn't Jesus be a liar? He had the wrong psychological profile. I mean, think about him and compare him to liars that you know. Jesus was unselfish, loving, caring, compassionate. He was passionate about teaching the truth. What about liars? What do they do? They lie for selfish reasons like money and fame, pleasure, power. Jesus gave that all up. And there's no conceivable motive for his lie. Why would he lie? It brought him rejection, eventually torture and death. The Jews would not worship a man. Why would Jesus come up with this lie as a Jew? Hey, you can trust me. I'm God. Really? He, he admits over and over. He talks about his own execution to suffer and die. Incredible. So... He's not a liar. It makes no sense. Nobody who hung out with him would have hung out with him if he was a liar. What about a lunatic? Well, the authors say the psychological profiles are opposite. The lunatic doesn't have the qualities that Jesus had. He had practical wisdom. He had love. He was unpredictably creative. And he says, you know, the authors say when you meet a lunatic... People get uncomfortable. Uh, we, we feel superior. We feel bad for him. But when the enemies met Jesus, it was the opposite reason. A lunatic doesn't make you feel challenged. You get bored with him or you feel embarrassed for him. But Jesus made everybody else feel challenged and uncomfortable. They were never bored with him. As somebody once said, you know, that uh, people love Jesus or they hated him. But nobody just said, yeah, yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's fine. There's never a, a moderation when it came to Jesus. It was all love or all hatred. Huh. Uh, why else could he not be a lunatic? Well, come on. The Jews, no Jew would have thought he was God. There was no group in history, as the authors say, they were less likely to confuse the creator with a creature than the Jews. They had a very clear distinction between the divine and the human. Well, maybe... Maybe it was the gospel writers. Maybe they were lunatics. Oh, uh, no. They invented the most compelling fictional character in history, if that's the case. No lunatic could have in invented any part of the gospels. No lunacy could have changed so many lives for the better for so many centuries. And as they say, whoever was the first one deceived, what accounts for the deception? It's hard to account for the origin of the lunacy as to account for the origin of this lie. All right, so let's get rid of the liar, the lunatic possibility. 
Well, here's the one, the, the third possibility, the trilemma, third one, is the one that's probably the most widespread intellectual reason today why uh, people don't buy into Jesus. It's the mythology. It's the myth. But they point out, and they spend some time on that, so I'd like to slow down and spend a little time here. They said the data makes this idea that Jesus was a myth, it makes that impossible. Why? They give, let's see, how many reasons do they give? They give 10 reasons why we can't buy the story of Jesus as mythology. Number one, if you're objective and you look at the New Testament texts like you would at all the other ancient documents, the texts are reliable. They're extremely reliable. Number two, the state of the manuscripts is extremely good compared to any other documents. The New Testament stands up, they said, 10 times better. They give you some examples here. We have 500 different copies earlier than 500 AD. Okay, so you got that statistic. We're talking New Testament, 500 different copies earlier than 500 AD. Okay, well, what about the Iliad, for example? Let's go within 500 years after its origin. How many copies do we have? Remember, we have 500. For the New Testament, we have 50 for the Iliad. We only have one very late manuscript for Tacitus, his book, Annals, but nobody mistrusts that. They figure that's good history. Number three, maybe Jesus' divinity was a myth invented by later generations, you know, the early Christian community. Really? Well, there's a problem. After all, there would have had to be maybe two or three generations between the eyewitnesses of the real Jesus and then the people that turned him into some divinity. Otherwise, the myth would never be believed because the eyewitnesses would have refuted it. But we don't have any evidence, the authors claim, of anyone ever opposing this myth being started up uh, in the name of an earlier merely human Jesus. That's an interesting point. No competent scholar today, they say, denies the New Testament being dated to the first century. And they said, especially Paul's letters. And what do Paul's letters do? They affirm and they presuppose Jesus' divinity over and over again. That seems to say that it was universal Christian orthodoxy way back in the first century. It wasn't like two or three hundred years went by and somebody came up with a mythology. I've got a talk, in fact, that I do. You can go to my website, apologeticsforlife.org, and I have... Um, a talk that I do on Paul's letters. So you might want to take a look at that. Paul's letters are amazing to uh, tell us about the early Jesus. They're even earlier than the Gospels. Okay, number four. This myth hypothesis doesn't work. If there's some kind of mythic layer that got added on to an originally merely human Jesus, there should be some evidence of the earlier layer, the human Jesus. No. You don't find it everywhere. It's Jesus as God. Number five, the style of the Gospels doesn't sound like mythology. I mean, this is something that C.S. Lewis was struck by when he read the Gospels. It sounds like eyewitness description. Uh, J. Warner Wallace also talks about this. He's a police detective, cold case homicide detective. And he said, as he read the Gospels for the first time, as a pretty dedicated atheist, he said, wow. This sounds like eyewitness reporting. Okay, it says if the events in the Gospels didn't really happen, then these authors invented modern realistic fantasy almost 2,000 years ago. Good grief. Number six, why else can we say the myth hypothesis doesn't work? 
the claim of Jesus to be God makes sense of his trial and crucifixion. I mean, think about this. The Jews were sensitive to blasphemy. Nobody else around the world would have been that caught up in insisting on death as a punishment for claiming divinity. All through the Roman world, in fact, hey, the more the merrier as far as gods go. Why did he get crucified? Because the Jews wanted to put him to death for his blasphemy. Number seven, there are four Gospels, not just one. There's a lot of cross-checking that could be done with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can fix the facts, the authors report, with a lot greater assurance than any other ancient personage. Number eight, if the divine Jesus of the Gospels is a myth, here's a key question, who invented it? His disciples? Some later invention? Well, until you get to like the 300s, the Christians were subject to persecution and hated and oppressed. What kind of elaborate practical joke is going to be started up during that time period? So now you got like 300 years where this wouldn't have happened. Number nine, first century Jews and Christians weren't prone to believe myths. As the point is made here, they were demythologized. There we go. <laughs> I knew I could say it demythologized more than any other people. They were opposed to all the paganism around them, all the mythology around them. They were hard-headed. There's no way that they would confuse myth and fact. And then number 10, they said, if you read the Gospels with an open mind and heart, you're probably going to conclude, along with others like Dostoevsky and Kierkegaard, no man could have invented this story. So there you go. What are we left with? Is it Jesus as Lord, liar, lunatic, or myth? Well, I think they've done a really good job eliminating the last three for the reasons that they gave. And, of course, I went over them very quickly, and I know that was a a real whirlwind. Uh, But I think we're left with Jesus as Lord. I think that's the best choice uh, given what we have, given the information. Now, they end, well, you know what? I'm not going to take the time to do that. They end the chapter of, if this is all true, why are so many people not compelled by these reasons. Well, first of all, they said, which I think I agree with, it's not for rational reasons. It's not rational reasons. It's probably moral reasons. And they have some other uh, points down here, too. I like, too, as the chapter winds up, they have a section here called Some Scriptural Data for Christ's Claim to Divinity. And they have something like uh, 21 places you can go to in the New Testament. So, really a good chapter, an excellent book. One more time, very simple. It's called Handbook of Christian Apologetics. It is older, I'll warn you that. But I don't see how being older gets rid of these arguments. We don't need something totally brand new to wrestle with, for example, how can God allow evil to exist? Is there life after death? Are miracles possible? They take on Hume and people like that. So, I think you'd enjoy it a lot. And uh, you may have to go find it at a used bookstore or someplace. Uh, But uh, thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll do another podcast soon.